Wow, we are truly, truly lucky to have you in studio today. I can't believe you're here, Vince. How did you even make time to join us? You're a really busy man. I've got an empire to run, Sean. I've got got stockholders to answer to. I've got a film division to get off the ground. I've got sponsors and and hundreds of employees to deal with. You don't know the pressure I'm under, Sean. You don't know. You don't know that. You don't know that my life is a nightmare. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just calm down. Just take a deep breath, Vince. I'm going to try and help you out. You're going to make it so much better, Sean. Well, I'm certainly going to try, Vince. I'm certainly going to try, but... But why are you here? Uh, why everything allegedly? Why are you doing this? I'm doing this, Sean, because you have something that, that I want. You, you have something that I can't have. You, you have something that money can't buy. You, you've got that inner peace. You, hell, you know who you are. You know what you want. I don't have that. And I want it. Well, I'm going to help you out with that inner peace. I promise uh, some prepping is going to set your mind right. But you know what, Vince? It's not just me. I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people that do this. And um, a lot of people just like me. You see, Sean, I don't like people like you. I hate people like you. Welcome back to Everything Allegedly. My name is Sean, and uh, and that was Vince McMahon <laughs> of uh, wrestling fame. And uh, and you know what? A fellow nutmegger. And if you don't know, a nutmegger is somebody from Connecticut. So uh, there you go. I don't have any specific reasons I choose these intros. I just think they're fun to do. And anyway, yes, that was Vince McMahon. And um, you know what? Seems appropriate. Seems appropriate to use pro wrestling because uh, because everything is pro wrestling these days, isn't it? I mean, politics is essentially less serious and uh, less scripted than pro wrestling ever was. Because at least there was some amount of actual sportsmanship and uh, actual wrestling that happened in pro wrestling, unlike politics today where it's all fake and it's all scripted to uh, to the last little bit. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to get into uh, some of that. First, I do want to say thank you so much for um, downloading, for listening, for subscribing, for all that good stuff. As always, the uh, the, uh, podcast is doing great. And, uh, and that's because of you guys. So thank you so much for that. It uh, really is humbling that, uh, that anyone would listen. So thank you so much. And, um, and uh, as I said in the intro, welcome back. Welcome back because uh, this is a part two. And uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode, go ahead and listen to the first prepping episode because this is going to be a part two. And what happened was when that episode dropped, I was thinking about it a lot. As I do, I tend to think about prepping a lot, but I was thinking about it and I was thinking, you know, there's more that needs to be said on the topic. And so a lot of the previous episodes, there's more that needs to be said on those as well. But it just seems like prepping is, uh, it's important right now because you got to start right now. You got to start prepping now because the world isn't getting any less crazy, is it? Things are just getting crazier and crazier, and that's why you have to prep now. <laughs> don't uh, don't start later. We don't want to uh, 
be needing the prepping stuff uh, without actually having done it. So there's no better time to start prepping than right now because <laughs> things are getting crazy. We talked a little bit about it last time, but uh, they are getting crazy. They are getting crazy. Are you paying attention? Just since the last episode dropped, it's like there's now a hundred more reasons why you should uh, uh, start prepping or, or continue your prepping. Things are getting wacky, <laughs> right? Like, did you see the, uh, what was it, congressional hearings about uh, aliens? Ooh, aliens are, are here or whatever. And uh, <laughs> if you listen to the... Uh, the episode that uh, I did about aliens, then you'll know exactly what I think about them. I think that they don't exist at all because, uh, well, because all roads lead to government when it comes to aliens. You ever notice that the, uh, <laughs> the only proof of the existence of aliens all comes from the government? <laughs> Why? Uh, there's not really any great proof from the, uh, the civilian, mm, I don't know, ecosystem doesn't exist. It's all from the government and we're supposed to believe them. Did you pay attention to the news this week when all the headlines say something like uh, the uh, the lawmakers push for more government transparency? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's what what lawmakers are always doing, right? I mean, name one other area where the lawmakers want transparency. It never happens. It's only with aliens they want it. Why do they want to convince us so bad that there's aliens around? Well, go listen to that episode I did on aliens, and uh, it's probably Project Bluebeam. They probably want us to focus on aliens and to believe they're real because uh, because they're all failures, because <laughs> they all suck at their job. And uh, maybe it's worse than that. Maybe they are planning the fake alien invasion. And uh, I know if I walk out of my house and I see alien spacecraft in the air, the first thing I'm going to think is, ah, oh, man, they're doing it. They're doing Project Bluebeam. And could you imagine what kind of chaos that would cause? I mean, real spaceships, fake spaceships, whatever it is, uh, yeah, that's going to cause some chaos. You're probably going to need your prepping supplies if the aliens show up, whether they're real or not. <laughs> because think about it. There is no good scenario with uh, aliens. Uh, on one hand, you either have real aliens showing up who would be much more advanced than we are. And, uh, you know, if, if they start, uh, if they start acting a fool, <laughs> that's not going to be good for us. And then the other option is that the government is messing with us and, um, they wouldn't be doing that if they had our best interests at heart. So, Hey, aliens, <laughs> there you go. That's a reason to prepare because uh, they're going live with it. They're, they're giving us aliens, and so get prepared. There's other crazy stuff going on, too. Uh, we talked a lot about supply chains in the last episode, how fragile our food infrastructure is. And uh, just this last week, we had Yellow Freight. Uh, they are going through a restructuring or a bankruptcy. Basically, it looks like that company is going to go under. And um, it's not the first time. By the way, if you don't know what Yellow Freight is, they are one of the larger trucking and logistics companies out there, um, and uh, and they're a huge company. They're a really big company, and they're probably going to go under, and it's not the first time. Uh, Yellow has been through this before. I think, uh, you know, like the bailouts we've talked about before in the banking episode, Yellow was involved in one of these uh, bailouts. I think a significant portion of that company is already owned by the government and they, and they still can't stay afloat. So what does that say about uh, shipping and freight? Well, it's fragile. It's, uh, it's easy to disrupt. Shipping is not as, uh, as reliable as you might think it is. And I saw a lot of this. I, uh, I deal with um, supply chains and overseas shipping quite a bit. And I saw a lot of these crazy fluctuations happen during COVID. It got really crazy. For an overseas shipping container from mainland China, you're looking at, mm, I don't know, a couple of grand before the pandemic. Uh, not much, maybe like 1600 bucks. And, um, and, or even less, even less. It just, it, uh, it, it kind of depended on what, um, 
I don't know, deals you can search for. But anyway, it was pretty cheap for an entire shipping container. And then when the uh, when the pandemic happened, you had these crazy uh, dips and spikes because uh, demand had shifted and factories were shutting down. And uh, then you had them all starting back up again. And there was a big like glut in the system. And so uh, shipping costs went up by like 5x. It was crazy. And so uh, some items basically got priced out because the shipping costs couldn't justify you know, the sales cost of the item. And the other option was to raise your prices. And uh, that's what a, a lot of companies had to do, my, myself included. So, you know, shipping, logistics, these uh, uh, freight companies, they really affect our life in a big way. And so uh, we should pay attention. We should pay attention when these shipping companies are going under because the trucking and freight and, uh, you know, shipping, it keeps the world going round or, or going across the flat surface of the world. Uh, all the products that we use every day to sustain life get to us by, uh, by truck and ship and train. And so it's really important that those things uh, keep moving. And when there is big disruptions in that system, the stuff stops showing up. So, uh, so pay attention to it. Uh, pay attention to uh, shipping and, uh, and logistics and trucking because um, it's doing weird things. It's doing weird things. So another reason to get prepared. And um, there are more. <laughs> I have more. How about uh, the Fed just increased uh, the rate again? I think this is the last scheduled increase. But the, uh, the Fed rate is now... Oh, geez. I do this to you guys every time, right? It's, it's, it's either like 5.5 or 5.75. I forgot exactly which one it was. But, you know, the Fed raising these rates, this has real, real downstream effects in the financial markets, in uh, the banking sector especially. And uh, it has a, a, a real negative effect on the smaller banks. And I explained this in the banking episode, but essentially what happens is that these banks are invested in certain products and securities. And then the, the Fed rate goes up and um, now they're kind of uh, underwater on, on a lot of their investments. And so this has real detrimental effects to uh, especially smaller banking institutions. So uh, we've seen a couple of banks go under. And uh, we don't exactly know yet what the full extent of these rate hikes are going to do to the financial markets, but but change we can accept. And uh, when it comes to something as integral to our daily life as the financial system, again, something you should pay attention to. Now, what happens if uh, banking goes down? What happens if we have bail-ins like we talked out, uh, about before? What happens if the banking system itself is just not accessible? What are you going to do? Um, you got to eat, you know, you've got to, you got to do certain things. And so without access to banking, should something unforeseen happen, you're going to need to be prepared. And so no, does uh, does a, a, a one small rate hike mean that you're going to need to eat your stored food? No, not necessarily, but uh, it certainly does mean that things are changing, so it's important to get prepared. And, you know, there are some tangential effects from these rate hikes. I don't know if there's an um, exact and, and perfect correlation, but one of the headlines that I saw recently was that 5.5% trillion dollars has been taken out of uh, of savings. So this is just like the savings account of you know all of us of your average US citizen. Well, 5.5 trillion dollars in savings has been drawn down. So why is that? Why are people spending all that saved money? Well, it, uh, it, it may be because money is just uh, more expensive now, or maybe it's because the uh, recession that the um, powers that, that be uh, refuse to admit is happening is actually real. I mean, have you been to the grocery store? It is basically double. So I can understand uh, why people would be spending their savings. When your costs go up, and your income remains stable, well, you're going to need to start spending extra money from somewhere. And that seems to be people's savings accounts. So 
That's a lot of savings that has been spent in the last couple of years. That's concerning because savings is not infinite. What happens when those savings run out? What happens when uh, the reason you were spending that savings, uh, the increased costs are no longer able to be covered by a savings account? What do you do then? Well, it could mean chaos. Uh, People are not going to uh, go without eating. So it could get chaotic. So get some food. Um, and it's not just it's not just financial. It's not just financial. We'll get a little little deeper into the conspiracy weeds here. But uh, where are all the people? <laughs> Have you noticed? Have you noticed there's just like a lot of people? It seems like there's a bunch of people missing. Every single business has a help wanted sign. Every business. I mean, you can't pass a business without a help wanted sign. And yet people are spending all their savings. What's going on? Why? Where's all the people? Where's all the people who used to be working at these jobs? (laughs) I don't know. I, I had to hire some people not too long ago and it's difficult to do. There just doesn't seem to be that many people who want jobs. I don't know where that, I I don't know why. I don't know. (laughs) I saw a video, uh, I don't know, maybe over a year ago now, where an insurance executive was talking about um, death benefit uh, uh, payouts, and um, they're up 40%. This particular insurance company, the death benefits that they've been paying out were up 40%. 40% is a big increase. When you talk about... Just, uh, you know, all-cause deaths, people dying for any reason. When 40% more people are dying, uh, (laughs) that's probably something we should look into, right? I mean, that's a big number. That's a big number. And uh, so I don't know. Were those the people working at these jobs where there's there's now uh, nobody working and the help wanted sign on the window? I don't know. There's a restaurant in my town. That has not reopened because they can't find employees. That's weird. <laughs> and it's not just deaths. It's not just deaths. I mean, even the people who are still alive or alive to some degree, uh, they're acting weird, aren't they? Have you seen how weird people are acting? Man, there is a, a video of Mitch McConnell. And um, uh, normally I say uh, I'll post a video, but I've been posting them. Because it's such a weird video. And the memes are incredible. But uh, I'm sure you've seen it, if you're if you're paying attention at all, where uh, he just, like, goes into, like, lizard freeze mode. I don't know if he's having a stroke or what, but, boy, is it creepy. I just, I don't know what's going on with people. And uh, I've never seen that before. We, we all act like, I guess, these things are just happening. But I don't remember that kind of stuff happening before. I don't know if the... Uh, the lizard transformation is actually like uh, <laughs> coming into reality, but it's weird. <laughs> it's definitely weird. There's a uh, there's a video of uh, of a I guess she's a representative. Her name is uh, Stacy Plaskett. She's not like a real <laughs> representative because she uh, represents the uh, Virgin Islands and uh, and they don't get a vote, but. Uh, Anyway, the video is circulating for for another reason. The video is circulating because it looks like she has a handler who's like correcting her when she's speaking. But that's not the creepy part about the video. I mean, we all know these people are controlled. We all know that these politicians don't have a a single original thought. But uh, watch that video. I'll post it. In fact, I did post it. I'll post it again. But uh, watch the person who like is her handler and just look at the face of this woman. She is like either on a meth bender or, I mean, she's like chewing her own face off. It's just bizarre. It's super bizarre. I don't remember people acting like this before. It's very strange. I don't know what's going on with people. I don't know if they're stroking out. (laughs) Again, I don't know if they're becoming the lizards. We all know they are, but people are acting weird. Hey, and I'm sure you saw it. That girl on the plane who was freaking out because she said the guy sitting next to her was not real. And um, by all accounts, she seemed like a pretty normal person, 
before this incident. So I don't know what she saw, but I'm seeing what she's seeing. I'm seeing a bunch of people acting weird. And, um, and when people start acting weird, then stuff in general is going to get weird. So get prepared, people. Get prepared. These, uh, <laughs> these lizards are coming, coming to the surface, and we have to be prepared. <laughs> I got to do an episode on, uh, on lizard people because, for one, I just think it's funny, and, um, and I love it. I love that concept. And if you listen on Spotify, you'll see that all the, uh, all the episode um, pictures, because on Spotify, the show, each episode has a specific picture if you listen on Spotify, you'll see they're all lizards <laughs> because I love the concept of reptilians and lizard people. So anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about some actual prepping advice because we can talk about lizards all day, but that doesn't really help, does it? <laughs> no, that doesn't really help. Uh, if you, if, I guess the best we can hope for uh, against lizard people is live in a, uh, live in a cold climate and don't keep heating rocks around your house. Anyway, let's talk. Let's just recap a little bit. The way that I think about prepping is in certain categories. I try to kind of distill it down to make it easy on myself. And um, those categories, again, are water, food, energy, defense, safety, options, and money. And sometimes I put options with money, or I should say money with options. But anyway, those are the categories. And in the last episode, I went through and kind of generally defined them. And then I gave you a tip, uh, my tip for each one of those categories. And so I'm going to kind of do that again. I'm going to try and hit some points that I missed in those categories and then give you another tip for each one of those categories that you can put into practice right now. And I would encourage you to <laughs> no time like the present. And uh, so let's get right into it. Let's <laughs> right into it. We're 20 minutes in, but uh, I guess that's getting right into it for this show. So anyway, water, water is the first one. Last time we talked about the, uh, the filter pitchers, super easy solution. And um, you know, if you didn't already get one of those, get it. They're in the links to the uh, last episode in the show notes. So anyway, this time, my tip for water is chlorine dioxide. Now, if you don't know what chlorine dioxide is, it's uh, it's basically comes as a two-part chemical. And uh, these two parts consist of uh, an acid, which can be like uh, Something like a hydrochloric acid or even a citric acid, just basically an acid. And then the other part is sodium chlorite. And when you combine these two chemicals, you get uh, chlorine dioxide. And normally they come in little droppers. So uh, generally they're sold in just a couple ounces of each one. And you take the droppers and you usually uh, will mix equal parts, uh, like three drops of one and then three drops of the other. And, uh, you can put it in like a, like a glass cup and what you'll, you'll see a reaction happen and it will turn into like a golden kind of, uh, yellow or brownish liquid. And, um, it off gases like a chlorine type smell. And, uh, the reason this stuff is so, so useful is because it can, it can sterilize large amounts of water. So essentially what you can do is you can take the, the one of these chlorine dioxide kits and um, now, you know, consult whatever kit you buy. And by the way, you can just buy these things on Amazon for, uh, for water um, uh, sterilization. But essentially you just mix a certain amount of, of drops uh, and, and turn the, the, the two into a solution of uh, chlorine dioxide, mix it with the water you're trying to sterilize, and then that will make uh, the water safe to drink. It will kill all of the pathogens in the water. And the good thing about sodium, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, chlorine dioxide is that it's really reactive. And so what it's going to do is it's kind of, it's going to do its job. It's going to kill all the pathogens, and then it's going to essentially, uh, I guess, quickly become inert 
it's not really going to uh, uh, kind of stick around as a chemical inside that water, or at least that's the way I understand it. And so it's a very effective water treatment. And so if you have access to water that may not be safe to drink, and again, we talked about last time how even the water supply that comes into your home, uh, municipal water supply or um, uh, you know other water that you have access to can become contaminated in an emergency and may be unsafe to drink. Well, this product can make it safe to drink from uh, from at least organic threats. So we're talking about uh, you know pathogens like um, you know bacteria, protozoa, things like that. So chlorine dioxide is a very effective uh, treatment to have for water. And so it's relatively inexpensive. You can pick it up pretty cheap, and uh, it's a good idea to get it. It stores for a long time, and you might as well have it. Now, the other thing about chlorine dioxide is that, now, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not a doctor, and I'm not giving you medical advice, but it can be used as medicine. Now, I would encourage you to, uh, and, and I'll post a link to this, but uh, I believe the website is called, well, it, it is called <laughs> The Universal Antidote. There's a good website that uh, you can get all kinds of resources on. It's called The Universal Antidote, and um, it's all about chlorine dioxide and the uses of it. Now, again, <laughs> this isn't medical advice, and so do your own research on this if you would like to use it as medicine. Now, it's pretty convincing, and I have heard many accounts of both sides of the argument, uh, some saying that it doesn't work and uh, some saying that it does work, and it is a quote-unquote universal antidote. But here's the thing. In an emergency situation, in a situation where you're going to be using your prepping supplies, I would much rather have something that might work than nothing at all. <laughs> and so what I would encourage you to do is uh, go on the Universal Antidote website, uh, take a look through there. There's a video on the landing page you can watch and uh, some downloadable uh, resources that you can print out. So if you're going to get some chlorine dioxide for water purification, you might as well look into its other uses too and just put it aside. Just have it ready because in an emergency, even though... It's not a quote-unquote approved treatment. Well, it might be the only one you have access to. So anyway, do your own research on that. I like chlorine dioxide. Um, I, keep, uh, I keep a good amount of it around, and uh, that's because I have a bunch of groundwater uh, around me, or I should say, excuse me, see, I, I always mix these up, surface water. I have a bunch of surface water around me, and um, it's probably teeming with all kinds of life. Uh, which would, uh, you know, include, uh, you know, like I said, bacteria, protozoa, things that are alive, things that I don't necessarily want in drinking water. So, so I keep chlorine dioxide around. And um, anyway, so uh, check that out. That's the first one. That's water. Uh, get some chlorine dioxide. The next one, food. Uh, we talked a lot about food last time and we talked about storing food. I gave some some tips for how you can store food in an economic way, how you can store a lot of calories, really easy. So, um, so I hope you're doing that, but that is only the first step. See, storing food will only last so long. You can only store so much food. And then after that, you're either going to need, uh, to bug out, to go somewhere where there is food, or you're going to need to produce food. And so my tip this time is to start learning how to produce food. It's not as easy as you might think. All that food that shows up on the store shelves, especially all those things like fresh produce and meat, that's a modern miracle. These things are not easy to produce, but because of the, I guess, vast uh, amount of, of uh, human experience, we kind of have it down to a science. But uh, those of us who aren't farmers, we have kind of lost that knowledge. And it's important to start learning how to produce food before you need it. Now, I've been doing this for the last couple of years, and I got to tell you, it is not that easy. There's a lot that can go wrong for a novice. Uh, we've been gardening now for uh, several years, and sometimes things just don't grow, and the 
the kind of saving grace in some of these situations is that we can Google the problems we're having with the crops. Now, if Google's not there, uh, you know, if there is some kind of um, Internet outage, whatever, we talked about EMP weapons last time. But if there's some kind of Internet outage, uh, how do I figure this stuff out? Yes, I'm going to rely on the community of people around me. But quite honestly, where I live, there's uh, at least in my immediate neighborhood, there's not a lot of people gardening. So also the other thing with uh, with plants and gardening is that they need food. Uh, you've got to feed the plants something. They don't just grow in dirt, which <laughs> I was a city slicker. I figured you just put plants in the ground and they grow. But that's not exactly the case. You have to have some kind of plant food or uh, fertilizer or uh, or compost. So that's one of the things that I do now. I compost. We take all of our food scraps and we compost it. And it's a very useful plant food that we make ourselves. Now, I also have uh, some chemical fertilizers, which are like... Um, you know, you can just buy them at the store in like 50-pound bags. If you go to Agway or one of the uh, farm stores around you, you can buy some nitrogen fertilizer. Plants use a lot of nitrogen, so uh, it was uh, relatively cheap. So I bought a couple of bags of it just to keep around in case I need plant food. And so I have some of these uh, large bags of, of fertilizer I can use for, for plant food if I, if I need to. And um, calling it a chemical fertilizer, it's a little bit of a, a misnomer. You're not turning your plants into GMO or anything by using a, a nitrogen fertilizer. It's just essentially pelletized uh, nitrogen and, and some other minerals. So uh, you can still garden organically uh, with these um, nitrogen fertilizers. So anyway, look into that. Make sure you have some plant food as you're learning how to garden. Now, it's not just gardening. Um, raising animals is another way to uh, have a steady food supply. We uh, have chickens now. We have uh, about about 20 of them. And uh, I built a chicken coop, and we're getting real used to having them, kind of integrating them into our, our home and our family. And you know what? I got to tell you, it's a really great experience having them around. They're starting to lay eggs, and those eggs that they lay consistently, basically every day, we have more eggs. Now, if there was a situation where we couldn't get food, wow, those eggs are going to be a huge benefit to uh, to my family. And um, the tip that I'll give you about chickens anyway, something that, that we have learned, is that it's important to get chickens, if you're using them for uh, for a prepping scenario, to get chickens that sustain themselves well on their own. Now, one of the very uh, nice things about uh, some of the breeds that we have chosen is that they are good foragers. We don't actually end up feeding them that much of the food that we buy for them. We have breeds of chickens. Now, chickens can uh, be kind of generally classified into like a hybrid or a heritage or a land race. A land race being the oldest variety and a hybrid obviously being the newer ones that uh, people have kind of uh, hybridized and mixed. So we have mostly land race breeds. These are the oldest breeds and these are the most, I'll call them wild. Uh, they're certainly domestic and they're, they're, very, uh, they're very nice to us and they're very nice to have around, but uh, they're, they're very good at foraging. And so we free range our chickens they go out into uh, to our yard and to the little bit of woods that we have around us, and they basically get uh, you know plants and bugs and everything else, and they forage, and so they get a lot of their food and their nutrition on their own. So if there was a scenario where supply chains broke down and uh, we weren't able to get food for them, these chickens would largely be able to survive on their foraging and um, our food scraps little as they may be in that kind of scenario. So anyway, I think chickens are a really great way to have a sustained food supply. And you don't need a bunch of property. You don't need a lot of, of area to uh, raise a flock of chickens. Um, in fact, there's a bunch of resources. Backyard chickens is one of those resources where essentially if your, I don't know, your town says you can have them, you don't need much space at all. Get yourself some chickens and... Um, Learn how to raise them. That they're they're wonderful to have. Let me just tell you, I love 
our chickens. I love that they produce eggs. So uh, my tip this time around for food is to produce food. Do that through gardening. Get some chickens. Hey, or other animals if you can get those. And uh, learn how to produce some of your own food before you actually need to. Because there is a learning curve and um, it's not as easy as you might think. So uh, start producing your own food. And you know what? If you never use it for prepping reasons, then you have great organic, uh, non-pesticide, non-GMO food uh, that's healthy for you and your family. So there you go. That's my tip for food. Start making it. <laughs> uh, now, the next one is, is, is basic. Now, this is for the energy category. And when I was thinking about energy, I was like, yeah, there's not much more that needs to be said because energy is um, it's a difficult resource. It's a difficult resource to store. It's a difficult resource to uh, uh, to keep around. And then you have things like gasoline and propane, which are really, really energy dense. And they kind of just dominate uh, fuel and energy. You've got other methods like, like, uh, like solar and wind and I guess water power if you live on a river or something. But those are generally have a really high barrier of entry. They're expensive. They're... Uh, sometimes hard to incorporate. You know, if you're not an engineer, you're going to have to hire somebody to do this kind of stuff. There are solar generators, but they don't really store that much power. So when I was really thinking about, okay, what kind of energy do I store other than the fuels I mentioned on the last episode? Well, one of them came to mind and um, might be an odd one, but uh, that is firewood. I actually keep uh, a fair amount of firewood around. And uh, that's because, you know, we burn firewood in the winter. And depending on where you are, you may not even have cold winters. So you may not need any firewood um, or maybe just a small amount of it because firewood is not just good for heating. Uh, you can use it for cooking and you can use it for um, several other tasks. But when I was thinking about an alternative fuse, uh, fuel source, other than the ones I mentioned last time, firewood came to mind because like producing food, producing firewood is um, is uh, it's not straightforward. You might not know this, but if you buy firewood, that firewood is not new. So if you just go and cut down a tree, that's called green or uh, green lumber or, or green wood, and it's not going to burn. You actually have to season firewood. And uh, by seasoning, it just means essentially storing it for a season. And so what you want to do is if you have access to trees around you, uh, I have some trees on my property. In fact, we just had a storm and one of them fell down. So what I'm going to do with this tree is I'm going to cut it up. I'm going to make it into firewood and I'm going to season it because right now that firewood won't even burn. So if I was in a scenario where I needed firewood right away, well, I'd be SOL unless I was storing it. So, uh, so get some firewood now, even if you don't need it. And uh, just you can essentially cut it, stack it, and um, you want to keep it off the ground. Some people put it on a pallet. I have a firewood rack, and I cover mine with a tarp because you're, you're trying to dry it out, and you don't want rain on it. So anyway, there you go. Get yourself some firewood. Learn how to um, cut it down and to store it if you need it someday. Now, I also have uh, something that, um, that I could deploy <laughs> in a scenario where I needed to heat my house, I have a wood-burning stove that I don't actually use at the moment. So if I found myself in a scenario where we needed to keep warm, I could actually set up this wood-burning stove. It's like a freestanding wood-burning stove, and uh, we could use that to heat a portion of our house or a room in our house, and I could use some of that firewood that I store. Because right now, really all I use the firewood that I have for is, um, is our fireplace, which doesn't do much to heat our house anyway. It's just a nice thing to have. But I know how to use the firewood. I know how to make my own firewood. And so in a scenario where I need to utilize it, where I just don't want to, but I need to, I can make that happen. And uh, you can do that too. Relatively easy. And um, generally, if you're somewhere in cold climates, you probably have access to trees. Now, where I came from in uh, the deserts of California, I didn't need any firewood. So uh, I guess this one doesn't apply to uh, those of you in hot and desert climates. But anyway, there you go. For energy, 
get yourself some firewood. And um, if you don't have trees to cut down, you can just order some and uh, just kind of store it in case you need it. All right, now now we're on to defense. And um, my my tip this time is, of course, still gun-focused, but a little bit different than what we talked about last time. And uh, last time I talked about the specific gun, but this time I want to talk about the ammo because that's something that is sometimes an afterthought in uh, preparation and um, in, uh, in uh, gun collecting, I guess. Now, my... Well, I should say my original strategy was to have, uh, you know, at least one uh, gun that used a a common caliber, and so those really common uh, cartridges or calibers uh, in in a uh, in a handgun, the most common is probably the nine millimeter. In uh, in a rifle like an AR rifle. Yeah, it's going to be a 556/223. I won't get into that here, but anyway, it's 556 and um and then with a shotgun it's probably uh a 12 gauge. And so when I when I first uh started uh kind of prepping with guns, I made sure that I had one of each of those. You're going to want to have one of the common calibers because uh because those are the easiest ones to to stack uh, some ammo to put some ammo aside and just have some in case the supply chains break down. Nine millimeter is very inexpensive. You can get it for, I don't know, uh, 15 to 30 cents around, depending on where you're at. It's very inexpensive. You can, um, you can put a thousand rounds uh, in your gun safe very easily. Same thing with 556 or 223. Again, I'm not going to go over that here, but they're essentially the same thing. And, um, you know, very easy to access right now. You can buy them in bulk. And so if you get yourself an AR rifle, buy some bulk ammunition. Just have it around and uh, keep it for that uh, time when the when the supply chains break down. 12-gauge is a very useful shotgun um shotgun shell and um, if you were to have to hunt for small game or something in a survival scenario uh, 12 gauge is by far the most common shotgun round uh, shotgun cartridge and you're going to want to uh, probably have one of those in case you plan on uh, plan on hunting uh, small game birds something like that and um, now again I have all of these because I'm an enthusiast but when I started out I wanted to get the most common uh, uh, ammo available, which, I, which I've done. And so now, now I have others, but I certainly have all of those. And, um, so anyway, I would in, uh, encourage you, uh, once you get some of the more common ones, then you can venture out into the, some of the more less common ones, but start out with the common ammo and, and make it easy on yourself to stack a few, a few rounds, put them away because we saw during COVID it was, damn near impossible for a while to get nine millimeter ammo. And so all of the, uh, all of the 45 ACP and all of the 40 caliber Smith and Wesson. Yes. Yes. I know they still exist. There are still people who love 40 caliber Smith and Wesson. I don't know how, I don't know who these people are. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't at me. Don't email me. I know, I know you guys are out there. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, you couldn't get nine millimeter, but the, uh, the people who um, who liked the less common calibers, they were able to find ammunition. So anyway, right now, all of it's available and all of it's cheap. So there's never been a better time to go out and get yourself some uh, some ammunition. Uh, put it away for a rainy day. It, star- it, it uh, stores for a long, long time. Put it in a safe uh, with, a, um, with some of those oxygen absorbers or a dehumidifier, and it's good for forever basically for all intents and purposes so anyway that is my tip uh get the common calibers and uh stack some of that ammo now if, if you're if you're a gun enthusiast already i'm preaching to the choir <laughs> because uh because you're probably already doing it but anyway oh and by the way i said i was going to make a video about the uh, cheapest ar-15 i could build yes i'm still going to do that um sorry one of the parts that i ordered was uh, uh, delayed in shipping. I just got it, and um, 
because I'm here in Connecticut and we have funny laws, I absolutely need that part before I can legally assemble it. So I will be assembling it and I will make a video, I promise. So uh, let's get on to the next one. And that is safety. Last time we talked about uh, some types of uh, first aid and some type of uh, medicines that you could get for an emergency. I hope you got some of those uh, those um, stop bleed bandages. Those are, are super uh, important. I didn't link to those. I'll link to those this time. Uh, get some of those. They're, they're very uh, useful in a... Uh, you know, a cut or a skin trauma type situation. So get some of those. I mentioned some other medicines. This time, though, I want to talk about the the threats of uh, of nuclear war and how you can get safety items for a uh, a nuclear uh, explosion or nuclear fallout. Now, generally, uh, now I I want to say first of all that. Um, Nuclear technology, nuclear weapons technology, there is a bit to be desired when it comes to the exact data we can glean on these things. It's kind of like aliens in that we have to take the government's word for it. But I'm going to err on the side of caution, and I'm going to believe that they have the weapons that they say they have. And so I'll prepare accordingly. Now, the thing with a nuclear weapon going off, we've all seen those videos of the mushroom cloud and whatnot. But, you know, if you're close enough to it, there's no, no amount of preparation is going to help. You know, if you're in the blast radius, that's it. <laughs> it's curtains for you. It's good night. So uh, nothing you can do to prepare for that one. But what you can prepare for is nuclear fallout. And uh, nuclear fallout is going to be the more widespread threat. And depending on which way winds are going or... Um, you know, just your uh, geographic location, you could find yourself in a situation uh, if a nuclear war does break out, which, again, certainly seems like they want it to. Uh, we are picking a fight with the uh, number one nuclear-armed military on the uh, on the planet. So something to think about. But anyway, that fallout is uh, something you got to think about. And so how do you mitigate the effects of uh, nuclear radiation exposure from the fallout? And I'm going to try and simplify this a little bit, but the way uh, nuclear fallout works is because either the, the weapon itself produces or it uh, makes radioisotopes out of the elements that already exist uh, in the atmosphere and what it comes into contact with. Again, I'm not going to try and get too crazy with this, but it's really particles that you have to worry about. So the nuclear threat, the fallout threat is actually not that difficult to mitigate. So say a weapon went off and you're, uh, I guess, within a, uh, a wind current and it's bringing that nuclear fallout to you. What you have to protect yourself against is the particles of the nuclear fallout. And so I'm sure you've seen the gas masks. These were a, a big deal during the kind of 1950s and 60s era uh, nuclear panic during the Cold War. And um, you should probably get some of those. Now, maybe these kind of COVID masks that didn't do anything for COVID, these kind of uh, N95 masks would help a little bit. You know, they didn't do anything for COVID, but if you got any of those sitting around, just go ahead and keep them because it, it will probably do something to keep those particles out. But, uh, you know, go on uh, Amazon or, or another one of these sites and you know, they're not that expensive. You can get yourself some cartridge gas masks that will actually filter out um, gas. That's why they're called gas masks. And um, I'll post to some of the more inexpensive ones I have found. And uh, make sure you have ones that fit your entire family. If you have uh, kids, if you have toddlers, if you have babies, uh, make sure you have something that will fit them. I have enough for probably three times uh, my family uh, in our house. You never know. Uh, what you're going to need. And by the way, that's another tip I want to give you. Don't just prepare for yourself. If you have the means, prepare for people around you. I mean, I have neighbors and uh, loved ones that I know are not as prepared as I am. So you know what? Throw a couple up uh, extra things in the uh, in the boxes while you prep so that you might be able to help somebody who isn't as prepared as you. But anyway, get yourself uh, some of these masks. These will help to uh, mitigate particles that your 
uh, taking into your body that are radioactive, and that's how the damage is done. Now, speaking of those radioactive particles coming into your body, you may have heard, you may not have heard, that in the event of a uh, nuclear blast or a nuclear fallout, people take iodine. And uh, there is one brand, there's one type of iodine that's commonly used. It's called Iosat. And um, I'll post a, a link to Iosat. But it is, um, it is, uh, <laughs> oh, geez, uh, potassium iodide. There it is. Potassium iodide. That is the, that is what these uh, Iosat pills are made out of. There are also generic brands of uh, Iosat I have both of them, and basically what it is is it's a stable salt form of iodine, and um, it lasts a long time in pill form. And, in fact, Iosat comes in uh, like a foil-type blister pack, and so they store for a long time. Excuse me. Now, the way that uh, iodine works in the case of a nuclear emergency— is that iodine becomes uh, radioactive very easily. So the iodine in and around you will become radioactive and um, you will take that into your body and it will go into your thyroid and it's, uh, it's at least assumed that you will develop thyroid cancer from that exposure. And you don't want thyroid cancer because out of the cancers, boy, it's a bad one. So what do you do? Why would you take this... Uh, potassium iodide or any kind of iodine during a nuclear fallout. What you're trying to do is you're trying to fill your thyroid full of iodine that is not radioactive, that is, um, you know, stored for such an incident. So you take a large kind of bolus dose of iodine, your thyroid is full, and that way when you're when you're exposed to a nuclear fallout, uh, your thyroid is essentially not accepting the radioactive um, f- forms of iodine around you that are trying to get into your thyroid and um, and and poison you with uh, radioactive isotopes. I hope I explained that accurately. There's a lot more you can read about it if you're interested. Get yourself some Iosat pills or even some of the generic ones. I personally don't think it matters as long as you have some potassium iodide. Uh, like I said, I keep some around. And then print out the dosing chart, especially if you have kids. Have a paper copy of the dosing chart for children. So you know what? If you're um, obviously not in the blast radius and you are uh, concerned about a little bit of nuclear fallout, should there be one of those incidents, you can take some of that uh, potassium iodide or uh, other iodine and, um, and, uh, and, and mitigate the risk of the thyroid cancers that would certainly follow from getting radioactive iodine isotopes into your thyroid. And also, you know what, just just uh, while you're at it, if you don't take iodine, you should probably take an iodine supplement. Uh, again, not a doctor, but uh, we don't get much iodine in our diet anymore. In fact, they uh, that's why iodized salt, it's basically they put iodine in salt because it's a commodity that they know people eat and because our modern diets don't have a lot of iodine in it. Well, a lot of people are now eating sea salt and they're eating pink Him- Himalayan salt and these other types of salts which aren't fortified with iodine. So there's a lot of people out there that are totally iodine deficient and um, it's a really necessary uh, supplement or, or it's not a supplement. It's a really necessary uh, compound to have in your in your, in your your body to be healthy. So anyway, uh, my... Uh, there you go for my for my safety section. Uh, get yourself some uh, some gas masks, some breathing apparatus to uh, mitigate a nuclear fallout threat, and also get yourself some iodine pills because uh, you never know. Again, pretty easy thing to put away for a rainy day, for a nuclear rainy day, and uh, you might just wish you had some if something happens. And again, they're pretty cheap right now. They're I, I'm surprised that people haven't been just going crazy buying them. Uh, Fairly easy to get at the moment. Might as well pick some of those up. Now, um, the next one I want to talk about options. I was thinking about, you know, what kind of options, you know, when I think about bugging out, what is something that, that I do that I don't hear much about and um, that I, that I try and keep around for that, uh, that, that scenario where I might have to escape. And that is, uh, that's maps, just paper maps. Now, 
we all use these maps on our phone and these are, um, they're kind of damaging our ability to navigate without them. It's like we kind of just drive around now looking at that blue line and following it. Once we have input our destination on our phone, we follow that GPS map to wherever we're going. And um, in my case, I've only lived in uh, in the, the area that I live for a couple of years. And it's unlike, you know, growing up here where I know every road um, in and out. I actually don't know. So what I have is I have paper maps. I have uh, Thomas guides. <laughs> Am I dating myself there? Do you all know what a Thomas guide is? A Thomas guide is essentially a, um, it was the OG interactive map. Essentially, you look up the address to where you're going and you would find it on a grid. And then you can use that that grid to find the more uh, like zoomed in <laughs> location. And, uh, and that's how you, that's how you find out where you're going. So, uh, if you don't know what a Thomas guide is, <laughs> get one and learn it. It's actually kind of fun to learn. Even if, uh, even if you're not actually using it for an emergency scenario, maps are great to have around. I mean, maps, they might as well be free. They're so cheap. And in fact, if you're a AAA member, they are free. You can just go to the AAA office and get a bunch of maps for free. They'll just give them to you. So you might as well throw them in your prepper box because God forbid you need a map or you need to figure out where you're going and the satellites, the GPS, the phones, the internet, blah, 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 whatever, those are down. How are you going to navigate? How are you going to find where you're going? So you need some maps. And by the way, so your cell phone, it uses cell towers. We talked about this in the uh, in the family episode of all of all episodes, I explained how cell phones work. Now, you may have had short power outages and, and your cell phone still works. And that's because the cell towers usually have a generator um, attached to them. And so for a short period of time afterward, uh, during a power outage, they will work. They will run on a generator and um, your cell phone will still work from the battery power that it has. Now, a sustained power outage, uh, they're not going to work. Because it would require somebody to actually go there and refill the fuel tanks of those generators. Generally, they're propane fuel tanks. And um, unless those get refilled during a sustained power outage, the cell phones are going to stop working. So anyway, uh, like I mentioned last time, have a plan if you need to leave your area and have maps that will help you navigate your way to that area. By the way, have some other maps too. Your uh, your emergency plans, your bug out plans may change. So you never know where you're going to have to go. And like I said, maps are super cheap. Get yourself some maps and uh, make sure you're not lost in the chaos if an emergency happens. And now the last tip that I'll give you here, because we are, we are into money. Yeah, that's the last category because, uh, again, running kind of long. I guess I'm just long-winded on prepping. But anyway, uh, the last tip that I'm going to give you about money, because we covered money pretty thoroughly. I think that if you are prepping and, uh, you know, you want to have money that is uh, usable during a prepping scenario, it's pretty easy. You basically have cash, you have precious metals, and you have other things that are valuable uh, for trading. And so that brings us to uh, today's tip. And... It is one of the ones we've already talked about because that is ammo. Ammo is, uh, it's very fungible. Now, fungible is kind of a, it's kind of a, a currency thing, but it basically means interchangeable. And a lot of times it means uh, divisible. And so uh, you may have heard about um, NFTs. That stands for non-fungible token. It means that you basically can't own part of it. It means that you essentially get the whole thing unlike cryptocurrencies, which are kind of infinitely divisible. So something being fungible means it's divisible, means it's kind of usable in part. And so ammo is a very, and I mean ammunition, uh, it's a very usable uh, commodity. So if we're in a uh, sort of grid down scenario, if we were in a scenario where people are surviving, ammo is not just useful for self-defense. I mean, specifically, uh, if you live in an area where there are, you know, animals and uh, you needed to rely on hunting, uh, ammo would be very useful. And I don't mean to downplay the self-defense because, you know, you, you never know how crazy it could get, but ammo is just super useful. And so as a currency, as a, uh, as a trading, uh, uh, <laughs> 
uh, what I call a trading commodity. It's very useful because ammo generally comes in boxes of, I don't know, 20 rounds. And so it's essentially like a, a $20 bill, this box of ammo. You could, I guess, theoretically uh, barter or trade somebody, you know, one round of ammo. I doubt anyone's going to get that desperate. But all I'm saying is that it's a nice uh, divisible unit you can use as money in an emergency scenario. So like last time when nine millimeter ammo was super hard to find, uh, I, I knew a bunch of people that had nine millimeter ammo. And if I really needed it, I could have bartered something for it. If I had those other um, prepping money items, if I had some uh, cash uh, around, I could buy some of their ammo. Ammo is very, very useful. And so I would encourage you, <laughs> just like we talked about a couple minutes ago, get some ammo because it's not only useful uh, for self-defense and for hunting, but it's a very useful barter item because it's going to be in demand because for one, it relies on a oh, fairly robust system of logistics. There's quite a few inputs. And um, if the supply chain stop, um, also, if a conflict breaks out, like one we, again, seem to be getting ourselves into, uh, the, all the ammo is going to go to the war effort. And so that ammo for the civilian market is going to completely dry up. I can't imagine what that's going to do to the price of ammo. And since it's really cheap right now, you might as well go get some of it. You might as well get some of it for self-protection. You might as well get some of it for hunting. And you might as well get some of it to use as money in a barter scenario. So anyway, those are all the tips I have. We're coming up on an hour and um, I hope they were, I hope they're useful. I hope you can put some of these things into practice because again, the way I closed the show last time was that, uh, that do this prepping, do it because you'll feel better. Do it because it's peace of mind. Do it because, um, not because you know, you'll need it, but because you know that it's there if you need it, because um, I I hope I'm wrong about all this. I hope I ne never need any of this stuff. I hope it was all just a giant waste of money. But what I definitely don't want is to get into a scenario where I need all the stuff that we're talking about and I didn't do it. So anyway, check the show notes. I'll put a bunch of these tips in the show notes. Get prepared and, um, and we'll see you next time. Oh, by the way, uh, got a song this time because I always like to find a fun song. It's a cover this time and it's by the proclaimers because who doesn't love the proclaimers? So anyway, here you go. Enjoy the song. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye now. This get ready by the proclaimers. 